This morning's scripture reading will be from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 8 through 17. Ephesians 5, 8 through 17. And I will be reading from the New King James Version. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But in all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The title of the sermon this morning is Living What We Say We Are. Living what we say we are. When we look at Ephesians 5, that whole chapter is about change. It's about changing from one thing to the other. And Paul's message here is that we're to be different from the world in which we live. We are to uh, be of such quality and character that people can differentiate us from those who do not live in the way God would have them to live. And since we are different, We ought to live in a different manner, right? We ought to live what we say we are. I believe the truth is followers of Jesus are to be different from those who have not given themselves in subjection to Him. I think first and foremost, there ought to be a myriad of things in which we can look at ourselves and compare ourselves to the Bible and then look at what's going on around us in the world and say, I'm different from that. As we consider the chapter as a whole this morning, leading up to our passage, that truth is demonstrated in Paul's correspondence to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to Christians, and he is admonishing them to maintain their purity. In verse 1, he uh, commands them to live like God. In verse 2, he commands them to love like God. Verses 3 through 7 commands them to leave the world and the sin in it behind. And of course, uh, we have been uh, blessed with the, the, the Scripture. We've been blessed with the message of God, and as He speaks to them, He speaks to us. And of course, beginning with verse 8, Paul explained why we are to be different. We spoke last Sunday about the idea of not doing this, but doing something else, and how important it is to know what this other thing is before we say not to do that. We need to know what the good thing is, right? We need to understand, uh, of course, in that context, we were talking about Ephesians, or uh, excuse me, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. We're talking about exhorting one another, uh, provoking one another to love and to good works. And then we get over to verse 25, not forsaking the assembly. Of course, not forsaking the assembly is very important. But we need to understand why. And that's what Paul is doing here. He, In verse 8, he explains why we are to be different. He says, don't be different. 
or be different, but this is why we are to be different. I think it's important for us to hear and to apply that to our lives because we're living in a world that is full of sin. We're living in a world, according to Peter, where we are strangers and pilgrims, 1 Peter 2.11. In other words, I think we might say we're just passing through, right? We're just passing through. Have you ever traveled somewhere and on the way to the point where you're traveling, you just kind of stopped at a place and, and got lunch or got supper or something, you didn't hang around very long? Why? I'm just passing through, right? Just going through. I don't know if you remember years ago, uh, the movie uh, Support Your Local Sheriff. Any of you remember that movie? Support Your Local Sheriff. <clears throat> uh, James Garner played in it. And they were asking him, you know, what are you doing? And, and throughout the whole movie, of course, it was an old black and white Western movie. He said, basically, I'm on my way to Australia. And, of course, that was the punchline, right? He was just passing through. He was just uh, coming through. Well, he wasn't intending on making some kind of an impression in that place, but he did, right? And so as we are pilgrims just passing through, we need to make an impression in this life, but not allow this life to make an impression upon us. In fact, Peter commanded in that verse, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I think there was a time when everyone who is a Christian at one time was a citizen of this world, right? In that we lived like the world, we believed like the world. may not have been to the extent as what a lot of people do. We may just have not understood how we are to please God. doesn't mean we were terrible people. doesn't mean we were lying and stealing and cheating and all those kinds of things. We just didn't understand at one time what God expected and what He needed us to be. But still, we were not citizens of heaven and we're citizens of this world. But what happens when we're saved by grace through faith and obedience? Well, we become citizens of heaven, right? No longer are we a part of this world. We're just passing through. This is our proving ground, so to speak, right? We're living in this world the way God has expected us to live or expects us to live, and we're no longer citizens of this world. We're citizens of God's kingdom. In fact, Paul made a statement that I think is very applicable. Colossians 1.13, he said that we are delivered from the power of darkness, and, hath, and he, speaking of the Son of God, hath translated us, into the kingdom of His dear Son. So when we obey the gospel plan of salvation of faith in Jesus, repentance of past sins, confession that He is the Son of God, that He died on the cross and, and came from the tomb and reigns over His kingdom right now, just as Paul said. And then we're immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. We're translated out of the darkness of sin and we're added to the Lord's church. We see that in Colossians 1.13. But, does that mean that we're never uh, to be tempted again? That this world has no sway over us whatsoever? No, it's really just when the, when the hard work begins, right? Just because we've been delivered doesn't mean that, that we do not need to watch what we're doing in this life. It means that we need to be constantly vigilant so we do not digress back into what we once were, right? We don't want to go back to not being citizens of the kingdom of God. And I think there's pressure in this world 
to draw Christians back into uh, what they once were. That's what Satan's whole point is, right? That's his whole mission in his existence is to draw Christians back into the world. He doesn't care about the world. He's got the world. He focuses on Christians. You know what I mean? Christians are in the whole of the world. It's such a small number compared to the rest of the world. Probably two million to two and a half million uh, members of the Lord's church in in the United States. And, and are all those faithful? Well, probably not. It was said, or I've seen the number, maybe 10 million Christians in India out of one billion, more than one billion people in India. It's a very small number. Uh, you know, I don't know very few Christians in China. I don't know very few Christians, if any, would be in North Korea. Uh, what about in Syria and Iran and, and Turkey and places like that? Probably very few Christians. And if there are, are they all faithful? Probably not. And so Satan doesn't have a whole lot of problem. He doesn't have a, a full plate, does he? He doesn't have to worry about more than 7 billion people. He just has to worry about the remnant. So he's trying to draw us back, and, and that's the pressure. And there is even pressure among those who claim Christ to draw people into the darkness. Now, why is that? I've often considered that. We know that there are Christians uh, in the world who claim to be Christ, and they support certain things they shouldn't be supporting, they want other people to do it. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> I know of a, of a congregation at one time, and, and within the youth group of that congregation, some of those uh, uh, people were using drugs. And they encouraged other members of that youth group. And we're talking about a youth group in the, in, in the Lord's church, okay? And they encouraged others to do that. And then, of course, like all sin, it doesn't stay hidden for long. It came out and then you had parents defending. And when they what they should have done was beat their kid down for doing that to save their soul, right? But they wanted to uh, defend their children because... And what's that doing? That's drawing people back into the world by a Christian, or someone who claims to be a Christian, why? Well, no one wants to sin alone, right? No one wants to be in sin alone. If they can get other people to do it, they can make the case, this is all right. Right? That's what happens. That's how churches go apostate. That's how churches who were once faithful are no longer faithful. But you know, there is also encouragement from God, though, and from those who follow Him faithfully to maintain that to live what we say we are. In commanding us to leave behind the world, Paul said we were to reject sin. Now that's a pretty simple statement. Be ye therefore uh, partakers, be not therefore partakers with them. That's a pretty simple statement. Not a whole lot of uh, uh, words involved in that. It's not complex. If we wanted to diagram that, it wouldn't take very long. But that's a big statement, isn't it? When we translate that to our lives, be ye not therefore partakers with them. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's hard. That's hard. But that's what God expects. Within the darkness of sin, God has redeemed his people and he has brought them in the light. So we're going to talk about living what we say we are, living in the light. Because that's what Paul talked about. I want us to begin with how God changed the penitent sinner by his light. That's our first point. 
He changed us from what we were, right? That's the whole idea of change. You were something, you became something else. Now, that's not always positive, right? You can be good and you can kind of turn bad. Or you can be bad and you can turn good, right? You can uh, uh, buy some fruit and it's not hardly ripe and you let it sit around for a little while and, and through that change process it gets good. But what if you forget about it? Man, that happens at my house all the time. We've got a bowl that has fruit in it. Okay, then someone comes through and they put a bag of apples in it. And I forget what's on the bottom. I forget all about those mangoes I bought. And they're just about ready. And then when I move that bag to get an apple, I see the mangoes and it's time to throw them away. See, change isn't always good. And there are processes of change. But God's light, His gospel, changed us from what we were. Right? That means... We were lost in the darkness of sin, and we were blinded by the God of this world, Satan, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Those people, and we have to count ourselves among them. At one time, we lived like the world. That's what Paul told the people in Ephesus. At one time, you were like those people, and he gave that whole list of of sinful things. You know, it is normal... uh, for Satan would have us to believe it is normal to be like the world in a whole lot of ways, right? Oh, it's okay. It's okay to drink a little alcohol as long as you're not drunk. It's okay to, uh, you know, uh, do a little of this or do a little of that as long as you don't go overboard with it. Well, that's not how sin works. That's not how sin works. Uh, what happens when you shine light into a dark space? It drives the darkness away, right? Can you have a little dark with the light? No, the whole idea of light is it drives the darkness away. You can see. Maybe you can't see as well as you'd like to, but it drives the darkness away. Paul described our former lives this way. Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 1. And you hath he quickened, or made alive, who were, in de- who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And I think that description points to those who are lost. Right? That's what we were. That's what Christians were. At one time we were lost, but God's light changed that. Fortunately, for those of us who have obeyed the gospel and live according to the gospel, God changed us into what we are. And we have to maintain that. See, that's not a one-off, is it? All right, God changed you into a child of of uh, uh, Christ, a child of God, and now just carry on. No, we have to maintain that. We have to fight for that, right? Paul said we are now light in the Lord, Ephesians 5, 8. And because of that, we're to walk as children of light. We're to live what we say we are. Let's not embrace something that we shouldn't be embracing simply because... That's something that we tend to gravitate toward. Or because we have family members that maybe tend to gravitate toward that. Let's be the examples we ought to be. We've all got members of our families who we could be a better example to and help bring them out of the darkness of sin. I think that's what Paul's message to the Christians in Rome was, right? Uh, Romans thirteen twelve through 14. He said, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off 
the works of darkness. Put on the armor of God. Let's change into what we are by God's grace and be what we say we are because of that change. Notice what Peter said, 1 Peter 2, 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You can't be in darkness a little bit and in light a little bit, right? You can't straddle the fence. There is no fence. You're either in or you're not, right? Uh, that's what God expects. So when we see verses 8 and 9, Paul after talking about our change, he speaks to the character we should have since we have been changed. That's our second point. Paul said that uh, that will be seen in three manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. First, it's goodness, right? When we are changed and we begin to think of the character qualities we ought to have, it ought to be goodness. Goodness is virtue. It's godliness in motive, in thought, and action, right? We may have a good intention, but if it doesn't go any further than that, what good is it really? Well, it's not good at all. It's not helping anyone, especially ourselves. It is the quality of goodness. Right? And, and we'll see that how we treat other people. The quality of goodness. When we practice goodness, we're walking in the light. We're walking in love. We're doing the things that, that God has asked us to do. When we look at the Christ who died on the cross for us, he had this quality of, of goodness, right? He did good unto people. He went about doing good works and helping others. We also see this uh, second point is righteousness, right? This has a reference to our standing before God. I think this is very important. We need to understand what righteousness is. It's, it's the same as walking in the light. It's our, our position in the presence of God. Am I a little bit righteous? No, it doesn't work that way, does it? I have to be simply righteous. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I don't make mistakes from time to time, but I'm not living in darkness. I'm not living in sin. I'm walking in the light and I'm standing righteous before God. And when I make a mistake, I recognize that mistake and I do something about it. When God saved us, He declared us righteous, right? I, we've talked about this before, but it, it kind of hurts my feelings a little bit when I hear someone refer to themselves as a sinner who's a Christian. Look, God said we're righteous. That doesn't mean we don't sin on occasion, but that's not living in sin, right? Let's not refer to ourselves as sinner. The third manifestation will be seeing the character of the changed person is truth. It's truth, right? In our lives in our interactions. Paul's talking about honesty, reliability, trustworthiness, right? If a Christian tells you he's going to do something, we ought to be able to count on it. Christians ought to be the most honest people in the world. Banks ought to be begging Christians to borrow money, right? Do you know how often a preacher has left an area and then the men of the congregation have to go around and pay off that guy's debts. That's happened a lot. That's happened a lot. That should never happen. That should never happen with any Christian, right? And so truth stands in stark contrast to hypocrisy. That's living what we say we are. 
We say we are a Christian. Look, let's live as Christians. That, that, that may mean that we have to stop doing some things in this life, right? But that's what being a Christian is all about. Truth stands in stark contrast. Let's let that sink in to hypocrisy. Goodness deals with our relationships with others. Righteousness uh, deals with our relationship with God. And truth deals with the personal integrity of our own lives. Learned where? From the truth of God. All three manifestations of, of the fruit of the Spirit in that context has to be a part of the person who is changed. That has to be their character qualities uh, if we've been redeemed from sin, right? That's what God expects. That's what we ought to expect from each other. Paul spoke of the change found in the Christian. He spoke of the characteristics or the character qualities that that changed person ought to have. Finally, he spoke of the commandments which are to be followed when one becomes a Christian. What was this first commandment? Remove yourselves from sin. Get away from it, right? <clears throat> Often we have this discussion, and rightly so. Someone obeys the gospel, they're not really sure of certain things. Maybe, uh, you know, they don't understand about the idea of worshiping with an instrument, or, you know, you name it, something like that. And someone says, well, you know, it takes time. Well, it definitely takes time, right? There's a whole lot more to being a Christian than understanding that plan of salvation we talked about. There's a whole lot more to it. And as we continue to grow, we learn more and more and more. But here's the very first thing someone has to do. I used to uh, appreciate Brother Curtis Cates. He says, first you've got to get out of the sinning business. Period. Whatever you're doing that's sinning, stop it. Right? Now, someone who's used bad language for 40 years, they obey the gospel. See, that's a bad habit, isn't it? takes a little time to break a bad habit. But you've got to stop doing that. Now, what happens if you slip up and you say something you shouldn't say? Well, the whole idea of walking in the light is I recognize that and I stop doing it. But see, I've got now the sinning business, but now I just slipped up. Not because that's what I intended to do, because it's a bad habit, and I haven't yet overcome that. And so I stop, I ask God to forgive me, and I keep pressing forward. See, that's the difference. I think a lot of times people use that kind of as a crutch, right? Uh, well, I'm still learning. Yeah, but you got to stop sinning. That's the main thing, right? We have to look at our lives and we have to stop. So we have to remove ourselves. We are not to be partakers with them of sinful things. Paul commanded that we were to avoid every kind of sin, 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Now, in the King James, that says uh, avoid... Uh, the appearance of sin, right? Well, we have to understand what Paul's talking about. He's talking about all kinds of sin, right? Because if we say you have to avoid the appearance of sin, what do the denominations believe when we say you have to be baptized for the remission of sin? They say that's, that's sinful. You're working your way to heaven. To them, that's the appearance of sin, right? Well, I don't know that there's not a, a, an application in there, but what Paul's talking about is every kind of sin, right? You can't pick out a sin and say, well, I'm going to kind of go easy on that because I like it, right? I like it. Uh, we can't do that. That's not what Christians do. We remove ourselves. 
Not only did Paul command us to be removed from sin, he commanded the Christian to reprove sin, right? We can't support sin. We just cannot do that. Listen again to his words, Ephesians 5.11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That means we are to expose the sin, right? For what it is. We've mentioned this. Uh, a congregation wanted White Oak to team up and and teach uh, Bible history in the school system around here. That is, was such a wonderful opportunity. But you know what that particular congregation did? They had the Catholics. They had every other denomination all piled in one. We can't, we can't participate in that. We can't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So as a congregation, the men, we sent a letter. And we said, we cannot participate with you as you participate with the denominations of the world. Because you know what's a part of church history or Bible history? Plan of salvation. And no one on that list agreed with the other on what that was. And so we can't participate with that. Reproving carries with it the idea of correction, discipline, and punishment. And so what we did, we offered to sit down, discuss it, talk about it. They weren't interested, right? We need to... The idea of reproving is saying it's wrong, but saying why it's wrong, right? We can't just reprove and and leave it at that, right? kind of goes back to what we were talking about. Do this, don't do that. Well, we need to explain why we can't do that. Or why it is important not to do that. We can't just simply say it's wrong. What if I'm wrong? What if you're wrong, right? We need to be able to show why it's wrong. And then maybe we might come to a better understanding of something. At other times we reprove sin in an indirect way, right? So what does that mean? uh, Peter talked about the Christian wife converting her non-believing husband through her chaste lifestyle. That's an indirect uh, way of reproving sin. We live in a way that's opposite of that, right? That's a rebuke of sin. So what if someone is selfish? Well, let's be giving. Let's do good things, right? That's a way to do it. Someone uses bad language, we speak about godly things. That That's what uh, helps to rebuke. I remember when I worked in the body shop, we had a, a particular fellow come around and he would sell tools and from time to time if you needed to buy a tool uh, we would <clears throat> would do that but he'd come in and, and he had terrible mouth. He had a terrible mouth on him and and this is, uh, you know, we probably should have uh, gotten a hold of the Guinness Book of World Records. Everybody in the body shop were Christians. That never happened in the history of the world. And so he would come in there. We didn't want to hear that. We didn't talk that way with each other. We didn't talk that way to anyone else. And so what happened, he noticed that. We didn't even have to say anything to him. We would have, but he noticed that through our interaction, the way we spoke, we would speak about godly things. He saw in a hurry that that was the wrong place for that. Some people live for themselves and for pleasure. We live for God and for eternity. Right? That's one way of doing that. I think the balance of our passage speaks to the shame of sin. We ought to be ashamed, right? Jeremiah talked about the inability of the people to blush, the inability of the people to be ashamed. I don't know. I think maybe we live in a 
in a culture right now that has a hard time being ashamed of anything. And we want to handle it in the proper way. We want to understand sin is shameful. We don't want to advertise for sin or lifestyles. And he, takes, he tells us to take action, to walk in the light. See, it's so important to walk in the light. When we expose sin and error, God appreciates that, right? It's not going to be pleasing to those who engage in it, but it's going to be pleasing to God. And hopefully, if we have exposed sin for what it is, people will stop doing that. They'll be changed. Their character will be better, and they will follow the commandments of God. Let me give you a little story about the importance of light. There was once a very greedy farmer, and uh, he didn't realize how making decisions in the dark could lead to uh, regrettable uh, consequences. So back in the days before electricity, uh, this greedy farmer hired a a young man for the... uh, task of working on the farm and from time to time he uh, wanted to go visit his girlfriend and so he would walk through the woods he lived at the farm and he would carry with him an oil lantern well of course oil wasn't free or as my granny used to call it coal oil coal oil wasn't free and so the the young man was using up the coal oil to walk through the woods to go see his girlfriend and so the the greedy farmer made fun of him and he said you know, when I went according, I never carried one of them things. I just went in the dark, trying to shame him into not walking in the light, right? Well, the young man looked at him and he said, Yeah, and look what you got. You know, when you look at something in the dark, it might look pretty good, right? If you're living in the dark, and a person looks at something, sin looks pretty good. But when you shine a light on it, you might realize you need to go find another girl, right? Or another guy. And that's kind of a humorous way to talk about the importance of light. But light's important. And so we need to walk as children of light. And what that means is live what we say we are. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation, you haven't done that, you haven't become a Christian. We talked about the plan of salvation of faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living. If you've done that and you've stepped outside the light and you've gone back into the world, see, that's what Paul was encouraging the, the Christians in Ephesus not to do. But that happens. Right? That happens from time to time. And God in His great and infinite wisdom made preparation for that. And we call that the second law of pardon where a once faithful Christian can repent of that sin can confess that to God and whoever else needs to be confessed to if it's of a public nature and God will accept that person back if he asks for forgiveness. If you need to answer this invitation, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.